Now, last time we were able to be together uh, and we studied this passage, we looked at a passage concerning elders, pastors of the church. Uh, As we closed out chapter 5, we move now into chapter 6 with instructions for a certain part of the congregation there in Ephesus. While this is specific instructions given in these verses have lost their cultural significance over the last 2,000 years, there is still principles here that we as 21st century Christians are still, still need to understand and apply in our own lives. So let's look at these couple of verses quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. So as we begin, let's start in verse 1 and see our first point. Honor the authority. Honor the authority. Verse 1, again, let as many... And as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. The first thing we need to do is discuss slavery in uh, the first century. Paul is giving instructions concerning those of the church that were slaves. Now, the word bondservant would be better translated as slave. But please do not think about the the slavery of the 17th and 19th centuries and put those images and that, that understanding into Roman slavery of the first century. Roman slavery of the first century was completely different from the slavery of the 17th to 19th centuries. They were vastly different institutions with different values and motivations. One source says it this way, it has been estimated that there, have been, that there were between 50 and 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And that, is, and that as many as one-third of the populations of large cities, such as Rome, Corinth, and Ephesus, were slaves. Some in the Ephesian church were slave owners, as was Philemon in the Colossian church. Many of the churches were either, many in the church were either slaves or ex-slaves, called freedmen. And some in the Ephesian church were slave-less citizens who, because of their lack of servants, were often poor. So we must understand that the culture of slavery affected virtually every aspect of the Ephesian church. This author continues, Roman slavery in the first century was far more humane and civilized than American African slavery practiced in this country during the 17th and 19th centuries. Whereas 19th century slavery was tragically racist, theirs 
was rare, rarely racist, but rather reflected the economic and political realities of ancient culture. Now, this does not suggest that ancient slavery was not evil. The buying and selling of people for one's economic well-being is sub-Christian. In other words, it is not Christian. Slavery in the first century was different from what our country saw, what we think of culturally. This doesn't make their form right or better. It is just different. And since it was so prevalent in Roman society and in Ephesus, there would undoubtedly be slaves, slaveholders, and slaveless citizens in the church. So Paul needed to give guidance and correct wrong thinking concerning slavery and the church. The first thing Paul instructs is that those believers who are slaves are to give honor to their masters. This would be an attitude of genuine respect for their masters that would be expressed in word, in manner, and in conduct. How they conducted themselves, how they spoke to their masters, how they spoke about their masters. Paul doesn't say, obey. I think he assumes their obedience. It doesn't just, excuse me, he assumes their obedience. But he tells them to deem their masters worthy of honor or respect. It's so it's don't just do your work or do it grudgingly, but do it because the master's position over you is deserving of honor and respect. Those believers that were slaves needed to remember that though Christianity gave them a spiritual liberty, it did not give them license to not faithfully serve their masters. It did not give them license to rebel against their masters or anything else. Why then did Paul tell them to consider their masters worthy of honor and respect? For the sake of the gospel. Verse 1 is generally understood to be referring to both believing and unbelieving masters. That it can be, excuse me, verse 1, where it's generally understood, could be referring to both believing and unbelieving masters, but generally is seen as in reference to slaves with unbelieving masters. This is especially true because of the second half of the verse. Now, this half of the verse is where Paul gives his reasons for the calling, for the call of honoring masters. Paul didn't want poor behavior from Christian slaves to disgrace or discolor Christianity, especially in the eyes of those unbelieving masters or any unbeliever. Paul's chief concern was God's glory. 
misbehavior on the part of a believing slave would cause the unbelieving master to mock and discredit Christianity, even blaspheme God's name. They may even view Christianity as a subversive society. This would greatly hinder the spread of the gospel. Now, we need to ask ourselves a question about Paul and slavery, and this is an age-old question. Some people think, how can Paul tell slaves to honor their masters? How could he not denounce slavery? Why doesn't he tell the slaves to fight for their freedom, to lobby for the abolition of slavery? How submissive and defeatist of him. Those questions, while not wrong to consider them, show a lack of understanding or a misunderstanding of Scripture and Christianity. Christianity is revolutionary in its difference from other religions, but it does not call for social revolutions. Despite how the faith was dragged through, despite how the faith has been dragged through conflicts of secular history, Christianity does not call for social revolution. A close examination of the slave-master relationship in Ephesians 6, 5 to 9, and its counterpart in Ephesians 3, 22 to 25, show that Paul's teaching was a radical change of thought for the slaves and masters, which would, as one author notes, destroy the very essence of slavery. Paul's teaching in those passages are, slaves, work for your masters, not because you're working for your masters, but because you're working for Jesus Christ. Masters, remember, you have slaves. Treat them fairly, but remember... You have a master yourself. Another source says this, Nevertheless, an understanding of slavery in New Testament times helps us to discern why the apostolic writers did not attack slavery. This was, one, because of the positive reforms then an effect in regard to Roman slavery. There were already legal reforms that had been affecting Roman slavery over the years. Number two, because an assault on slavery would have wrongly labeled Christianity as subversive, besides the immediate demise of slavery would have reduced both slaves and masters and poverty. Let me read that again. Because an assault on slavery would have wrongly labeled Christianity as subversive, besides the immediate demise of slavery, would have reduced both slaves and masters to poverty. Number three, because the apostolic church was not greatly interested in social reform, but it was looking forward to the immediate coming of the Lord. And number four, because the radical brotherhood and equality explicit in the gospel would sound the death knell of slavery, bringing its eventual demise. 
And you can cross-reference that item with ideas found in Philemon verse 16 and Galatians 3.28, excuse me, as well as the entire book of Ephesians. Now, besides a hallmark of Christianity is the call Besides, a hallmark of Christianity is the call of believers to the role of servant. This is referenced in the Gospels in Mark 10, 42-45, as well as Luke 22, 25-27. Now, this doesn't mean Paul wanted Christians going into slavery. Slavery, as a practice, is not Christian. Paul did teach that each believer was to practice their faith in whatever social position that they were in, in at conversion. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 20 through 24. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. So if you were converted as a slave. Don't worry about it. Keep doing your job. But if you're able to gain your freedom, great. Gain it and go use it for Christ. Verse 22. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is, in the, is the Lord's freedman. Even though you are a slave in this lifetime, you are converted and the Lord views you as a freed man, as a freed slave. The verse continues, likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. So someone who wasn't in slavery in this lifetime, when at conversion accepts Christ, becomes Christ's slave. Verse 23, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Verse 24, brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Paul wasn't teaching that slavery was good. He didn't want someone to become a slave in this lifetime. But he wanted them to understand that as a slave in Christ, you are free. And if you are free in this lifetime, in Christ, you're Christ's slaves. We all serve Christ as Christians. And God has called us into our salvation at whatever position socially that we are. If you're rich and called of God, wonderful. Use it to his glory. If you're poor, you do what you are able to with the gifts and talents God has given you. If you are slave, work your best. If you have to work for a living, work for God's glory. Rebellion in the name of Christ is not Christian. Christianity is displayed through our actions, not rash actions, not rebellious actions, but actions that can lead to evangelistic conversations, actions that glorify God. One's personal actions 
words, and attitude all flavor our testimony as disciples of Jesus Christ and can either aid in the work of evangelism or hinder it, causing the name of Christ to be tarnished. If we hinder our testimony, we, then it can, we can tarnish the name of Christ. As we seek to share the gospel through our relationships, our testimony is of vital importance. This concern is just this concern isn't just about our testimony to the unbelieving world, but with fellow believers as well. Paul continues to his in his comments to slaves in verse two. And here we see our second point work your best. Work your best. Verse 2, and those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. Now, Paul, continuing in his instructions to believing slaves, now addresses those who have Christian masters. And the first thing he says was, do not despise them. The word despise can mean disregard, to look down on or scorn. The sense of the word here is to look down on with contempt. This is the same word and the same sense of the word that is used in chapter 4, verse 12, when Timothy was told, let no one despise your youth. What's the problem here in our, in our passage today? We see the issue in the next phrase, because they are brethren. The issue here is that it seems because... It, Sorry, the issue here is that it seems that the slaves had the wrong attitude and stopped showing the proper respect because their masters were fellow Christians. The slaves weren't to slough, weren't to slough off their work, to work at a lower standard, to expect better treatment, or to take advantage of their master if their master was a fellow believer. Paul's direction in the, next, in the next part of the verse is that the slave still serves. The word serve is a verb from the word slave. Literally, this could be translated do slaving. And not just, and not just do the work that is expected, but the idea here is of working harder or doing a better job. This comes across in other, in other Bible versions. 1 Timothy 2, verses 6 through 12, uh, excuse me, 1 Timothy 6, 2 in the ESV. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. Uh, verse 2 in the New American Standard, those who have believers as their masters must not, must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must th serve them all the more because those who partake of this benefit 
our believers and beloved teach and preach these principles. The reason for this better service is seen in the spiritual relationship that the slaves and the masters have with each other. While Paul teaches in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 4 that these that this common bond in Christ affects the master's treatment and the slaves the same is true of the slaves treatment with their masters the relationship that believers have through Christ should bring about mutual respect Galatians 5:13 The slaves should work their best for their masters because they will benefit from that service and because their masters are beloved as Christian brothers to the slaves. Now, the last part of this verse is transitional. Uh, Some link it with the following section, beginning in verse 3, while some link it to this verse or to to these verses. I'm taking them as part of the discussion here about about the slave's work ethic. As I understand it, this sentence is more to Timothy in urging him to be sure to teach these principles just discussed in verses 1 and 2. This was to be the accepted doctrine for this ethical concern. Plus, this concerned the welfare and the testimony of the church. Now, though slavery is not part of our culture, this ethical dilemma is still present in our culture through the relationships we have with our employees or employers. Warren Wiersbe gives this example. He says, I recall a counseling, situ- counseling a young lady who resigned from a secular job to go work at a Christian organization. She had been there about a month and was completely disillusioned. I thought it was going to be heaven. I thought it was going to be heaven on earth, she complained. Instead, there are nothing but problems. Are you working just as hard for your Christian boss as you did for your other boss? I asked. The look on her face gave me the answer. Try working harder, I advised, and show him real respect. Just because all of you in the office are saved doesn't mean you can do less than your best. We live in a country that was created through rebellion. We live in a culture that has idolized and idealized rebellion and claiming of personal rights. But Christ humbled himself. Christ put his rights to the side. Christians need to find that delicate balance of their civil duty 
and their liberty with their faith and testimony. I'm still trying to find that myself. It's, it's easy to go to one extreme or the other. It's also easy to just blur that line of civil duty and liberty and faith and testimony. In a time of cultural and political unrest and calls for revolution, let's be countercultural. Let's be Christian. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, while this passage at first glance seems rather easy and rather straightforward, there are some difficult principles to gather and to understand. Lord, we live in a time of cultural and political unrest. Our expectations aren't being met, but maybe our expectations are wrong. Maybe we have forgotten how to share the gospel. Maybe we've forgotten that our society needs Christ, not just social reform. Social reform can't cure the heart Making laws that seem Christian won't change people's heart. Demanding conformity won't change people's hearts. Only Christ can do that. Lord, we live in a time I believe where our faith Our faith has blurred the lines with our civil duty. Help us to remember, Lord, that though we have Christian liberty, sometimes our liberty as Christians is to deny oneself out of love for the other person. Help us to realize that even if we work for unsaved individuals, Lord, you still love them. Help us 
to remember that you love us as much as you love that person. As I was just as I was just reminded last week the people you sent me to you love just as much as you love me. Help us to find that balance where we are able to where we are able to display our Christianity through our work ethic, through our humility, not through our pride, not through our stubbornness, not through our rebellion, but through our humility as we seek to glorify you in our words and actions. Paul wrote the Philippians and said, let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. And as we look forward in that passage, we see that it was the mind of a servant that Christ humbled himself. Help us to remember that. Help us to find ways that we can humble ourselves whether in our church life, in our personal relationships with family and friends, in our daily relationships and work relationships, so that we have the opportunity to build these relationships or to build on them and to use them to discuss you and to do Bible studies, and to, so that we can present the gospel. That is why you have called us. Help us to be countercultural to these calls of revolution and rebellion. Help us to live like Christians in humility. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.